Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We started last week a new unit. We're talking about different ideas about God, fancy word, theology, ideas about God uh, in the Jewish tradition through the ages. We'll see how those ideas do or do not filter into the Sidur. If you didn't listen, so last week we raced through a lot of material, probably tried to do a one-hour class and a half-hour session. And so this week we're going to just review, digest, and discuss. We're not going to move forward. I mean, we're we're going to move forward by digesting and discussing, <laughs> but, but not covering anything, not covering new material, because we raced through, and I think we we, it warrants we need time to, to digest and discuss. So first of all, if you're listening in podcast land and you didn't last listen to last week's uh, class, you might be kind of lost. So if you're listening to podcasts, I would suggest you just hit the pause button right now and go back and listen to last week's first and then come back to this one. Um, so last week we talked at some length about, just to review briefly, an idea which seems to be expressed in a number of passages that we read. I'll remind you of what they were. Um, an idea that from the Torah that God at times can appear in a form that appears to be, appears to people to be human and speak to people and interact with people and look like a person to them, and that people may or may not realize that until later. Um, We read uh, several of the classic passages where this idea is um, played out. Um, We read about Yaakov wrestling with the angels. We read about... Avraham, uh, sorry, sorry, Moshe at the burning bush. We read about, um, I went out of order, uh, Avraham at the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, when the angel appears to him from heaven. So we looked uh, moderately carefully at those three stories. We didn't really read, but I gave to you the story of the um, annunciation or announcement of the uh, Samson's birth from the book of Judges, where uh, an angel appears to his parents and gives instructions. Um, And note that in these stories, there are different reactions that the human has. So Moshe at the burning bush seems to know that it is God, okay? And whereas Jacob doesn't seem to know afterwards, says, oh, my God. He doesn't say, oh, my God. He said, I saw God face to face. It's not entirely clear. Does he realize during this encounter or not? Samson's parents, Manoach and Manoach's wife, she's unnamed. Um, it's clear that they didn't know. Later on, the man says, oh, my God, we saw God. We're going to die. Okay. And we had the brief passage from Moses in Shemot, Exodus chapter 33, which says, God says to Moshe, you can't, no one can see me and live. Right. Um, as expressed differently in Jacob's naming of the place, Peniel, I saw the face of God and I lived. So 
we looked at one strand of Torah thought and several examples of how God can appear to people in human form, looks like a human. The, the confusion in the story, the literary blurring is it says Malach Hashem appears for most of them, um, a Malach. And then God says, da, 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 sometimes in the first person. So it's clear that, um, the, again, if we looked at the simplest level without preconceived notions, it seems that the Malach is God because a Malach appeared to him. And God said, I da 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 da. Okay. Now, obviously, um, because for later generations of Jewish thinkers about God, this idea would be shocking and even anathema. Later generations of commentators have explained these away, right? The angel is quoting God, or they'll look at sometimes a shift of names could be Malach Elohim, and then it says, and Hashem said, okay? So there are all kinds of ways, if you're a traditionalist and are offended by this idea of not having what seems to be the obvious meaning mean that. It means something else. But um, we, we do have our gratitude as some contemporary Bible scholars. Again, I quoted Ben Summer and James Kugel, who look at these passages and try to strip away the preconceived notion. So there's certainly traditional Jewish ways of, of saying, no, 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 of course God does not appear in human form, right? You know, Rambam would be, would be horrified, uh, at last week's class and would say, you know, I'm simply an ignoramus who, you know, doesn't understand how to read Torah. Um, and, uh, James Kugel is the one who coined the term, I think, the moment of confusion. This moment where the person, it dawns on them, that human that we saw, that person that we saw that we thought was a human was actually God. Moment of confusion. Now, if we consider the Torah in the background of um, the ancient world, we say like, oh, this is a version of the idea that we're familiar with. Um from, you know, pagan religions. You just think about, you know, Greek mythology. The gods and goddesses always appear and they look to people like people and sometimes they can tell they're a god or goddess or not. And, you know, sorry, trigger alert. I'm about to mention sexual violence. Um, Zeus can take the form of an animal and rape a human female, whether it's the form of a bull, the rape of Europa or uh, a swan story of Leda and the Swan, and there are other stories, right? Um, so if you were an ancient Greek, the idea that um, a deity looks like a human, could take human form, that would be totally non-shocking. That would be obvious, okay? And because uh, the Bible is, we think of it as the founding document of monotheism, we find it kind of shocking that there's a residue of this idea in these passages. Um, now, I don't mean to suggest or imply that this is the only idea about God in the Torah. There are lots of other ideas about how does God interact with humans. This is just one strand of thinking. For those who care about such matters, 
and who believe in something called the documentary hypothesis, which says that the Torah is com- was written by humans and is composed of different strands. And those strands classically are called J, E, P, and D. This is the strand that's called J or J, E. It's the narrative strand. Notice none of these stories involve the temple or the Mishkan or commands to do ritual or anything like that. They're all in the, they're all stories. Okay. So these, this view we could say is um, contained in uh, the narrative strand of the, the Humash. And by the way, even if you don't believe in the documentary hypothesis or JEPD, it's still okay to say this is the an idea about God that is reflected in the stories, particularly the stories of the long ago ancestors. Okay, and in the next few weeks we will look at other strands in the Chumash, which express other views about how God is manifest on Earth. Right, so P and D, if you speak documentary hypothesis have totally different views of how God is present, right? They would not say God can be a malach and come talk to people. So there are other, on, on the one hand, I want to point out, there are other strands in Torah thought, which we'll, I promise we will get to. We'll get to several, several others. We'll talk about P, we'll talk about D, we'll talk about prophetic, we'll talk about epic, so maybe four others. Okay. Um, and in other strands to look at the other end of the equation, not the God end of the equation, but the Malach end of the equation. In other strands, a Malach is something different entirely. A Malach is kind of what we modern people tend to understand a Malach to be, which is an angel, which means a, um, sorry, a supernatural being, right, who is not God, who might take a humanoid form um, or might not, and who functions as some sort of creature um, in between human beings and the divine realm. Where can you think of in the Bible where we have other descriptions of malachim where they're clearly nothing like this? They're not appearing to people and giving a message. It wasn't a rhetorical question. Anyone? Wave a hand. Alan? Alan, you're you're far from the speaker, so I can't hear you. You're so far from something is covering the speaker. I don't know. Can't you're you're like it's like he's sitting in the upper row of the bleachers in left field. Yeah. Yes. What about Yechesku? All right, what go ahead. So say a little more, Larry. Yechezkel Ezekiel, uh-huh, the prophet. Right. Well, he, he saw, he's, he saw Malachim, I think, right? Well, so good. So you're right and you're slightly wrong. So he, you're thinking about Ezekiel chapter one, which is the Haftorah, which we read on Shavuot, I think, um, which basically says Ezekiel saw a vision of a man on a throne, which was God. And that throne is moves around. It's like a chariot. It's moved around and schlepped around. Ezekiel's words, by the way, are chayot, creatures. Right. He also sees ofanim, which seems to mean wheels. Good. And uh, who else saw God sitting on a throne? What other prophet 
besides Ezekiel. Famous one. Yeshayahu, Isaiah, chapter 6. Right, I'm not going to bring you these texts. You can read them at home. Ezekiel chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 6. Has a vision of God on the throne. And God... Diane? I was going to say, there's a vision at Sinai. Uh, we're going to get to that. that but oh. Although there's no... As far as I know, in the in the Bible, there are no angels in Sinai. Right. Right. So other views of Malachim, people, or sorry, entities that we would think of as Malachim, meaning supernatural creatures that are not God. Um, so Isaiah imagines, uh, sorry, prophesies um, and depicts God like a king sitting on a throne. And of course, no self-respecting king hangs out in his throne room alone. He would have all sorts of courtiers surrounding him and flattering him all the time, correct? So, um, and anyone remember what the word is in Isaiah? They're not chayot. They're not ofanim. They're not malachim. They're seraphim, okay? Which in English comes to be seraphim, okay? So, um, which comes from the word to burn. So they are fiery beings and there are various Bible scholar interpretations about what they looked like. And they have six wings. By the way, the uh, the creatures, the chayot in Ezekiel have four wings. Okay. So we have other passages. And, and of course, in the poetic stratum of the Tanakh, um, in in Psalms, we have mentions of Malachim sometimes also. So basically, the dominant idea in the Bible is not the one that we talked about last week. I think the dominant idea in the Bible about angels is that there are supernatural beings uh, that are in the godly realm and can sometimes appear to us in the human realm, and they have they're, they're creatures. They look like something. They might look, oops, sorry. They might look um, like nothing we know. They might have six wings. They might be fiery. So they might look like something that's totally, you know, not human looking. Or the chayot in Ezekiel's vision have four faces on four sides, right? A human, an eagle, a lion, and a bull, I think. Okay. Um, and by the way, and some of the time later on in the prophets, some of these divine beings get a name. So, for example, in the book of Daniel, which is probably the latest edited book of the prophets, we have mention of Michael and Gabriel, names that are familiar to us as angels who explain to Daniel things that are happening in the th things that are happening in his visions they require interpretation during second temple times and beyond there came to be great interest in this and there is a whole literature written about angels bible scholars call it angelology okay and there're lots of angels and they have all kinds of names and you know in the early mystical literature called the Hechalot literature, the Merkava mysticism, you could have certain mystical techniques, you could have visions, and you could ascend through the various realms, you could see lots of angels, and has a list of names of all the angels you're going to see. So there gets to be great interest. And because different Bible 
uh, different figures in the Bible use different terms for these divine beings. Chayot, Ofanim, Kruvim, I want to throw that in there. And Seraphim, these are seen to be different categories of angel angelic beings. So the Jewish imagination, the Jewish religious imagination at a certain point, I'm going to say the last few centuries BCE and the first few centuries of the common era gets very captivated, the Jewish literary religious imagination by this angelic realm and, and, and telling all about it and telling you the names of the angels and the categories of angels. And it all gets very fascinating. That is the dominant view of angels that migrates into our Sidur. Where does it migrate into our Sidur? You say it every morning. You say it every morning three times. The Kedusha and the Amidah. The Kedusha. So the Kedusha, the seated Kedusha before the Shema, the Kedusha of the Amidah, and the Kedusha de Sidra um, in Uvalitzion, right before Elena, right? We quote the line from Isaiah, Yeshayahu, that the Srafim say, what do those courtiers of God, angelic courtiers of God say? They say, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzvaot, right? And Tzvaot, their hosts means, hosts, it means an army or an array, okay? So that Tzvaot is probably all the array of heaven, all of the stars and or angelic beings, and probably in some biblical imagination, they're exactly the same thing, the stars and the angelic beings. Okay. And then we have in the Kedusha, the second line, the, the, um, the, um, what Ezekiel, Yechezkel heard, Baruch Kivod Hashem Mim Komo, blessed is God from his place. So in the, I'm going to call it mystical and then liturgical framing, of Malachim. Malachim are not uh, humanoid forms who live on earth and can talk to people. Malachim are divine creatures flying around up there. They can fly down to earth. They can do certain things. Okay. And thus, I'm, I'm going to say we, we later readers retroject into those biblical stories that we looked at last week we retroject the, that view of Malachim. So if I said to you, and it says in Breshi, Genesis chapter 22, at the Akedah, a Malach Hashem appears to um, Avraham from heavens and says, Avraham, Avraham, do not stretch out your hand to the lad. Right? And I said to you, what does that scene look like? Most readers would say, well, you know, some being appeared from above, maybe came out of a cloud. It would have wings because, of course, angels have wings, right? Because we're, we're, we're used to back reading based on Isaiah and Ezekiel. Angels have wings. So, and that's how they get from here to there. Okay. Um, I went, I went, uh, a few years ago, maybe three years ago. I decided it would be good for me to read all of John Milton's Paradise Lost, of which I had just read, been forced to read excerpts in college during my intro to poetry class. So I forced myself to get through all of Paradise Lost, and he has marvelous, mar I recommend it highly, marvelous, marvelous descriptions of 
good angels and bad angels and Satan is a bad angel and talks about wings and all, all, all kinds of things, right? So we know that this gets, I'm going to say, um, um, embroidered tremendously in the human imagination. Now, so we have, oh, Diane, I'll get to your question, I promise, eventually. Now, so we start out where we started out last week, where, which is God can take a human form and appear to people. And it's like, oh my God, that was God as a malach. But then the malach strand goes elsewhere. Malach becomes an angelic being, not what it is in the passages we read last week. What happens to the idea that, well, I'm going to say it differently. Does it go away entirely? The idea that a divine being can take on human form so first of all, what Jewish strand of thinking of the first century of the common era has as a core piece of theology that God can come to earth and take on human form? Christianity. Christianity. It's like a core idea, right? God did this on purpose and so that the human form can suffer for our sins. Okay, so yeah, um, this that idea isn't shocking okay, at all, it's, right? It, it, seem, it seems outlandish to most of us Jewish people, this core idea of Christian theology, right? Because we're kind of, you know, because we, we read everything through the eyes of the sages and Maimonides, okay? But it wouldn't be shocking at all in the first century if you had read the narratives of the Torah and taken them seriously, that God could could have a human representation on earth, that would look totally human. Post-Christianity, in the Midrash, who is the Jewish, let's come closer to home, who is the Jewish supernatural figure who can appear in human form and comes and goes? Elijah. Elijah. Okay. So this idea of it's God who can appear in human form gets, I'm going to call it, you know, we might say, domesticated, watered down, monotheized, whatever you want to call it, um, to, oh, there is a divine being, supernatural being, who can take human form and appear. He appears, he disappears, he's magically at every Pesach household, flies around the world, he's magically at every Brit Milah, we have all those stories, the poor man, you let him stay at your house over Shabbat, right after Havdalah, the poor man disappeared, and what did you find under his bed? You found a pot of gold, etc. right? So this goes back to Chazal, the sages in the Talmud, who have all kinds of stories about Elijah appeared. Um, now, just to take you back to the beginning, what is it about the story of Elijah that makes that line of thinking, that line of, of story or myth or whatever you want to call it, possible? What is it about the Elijah story that makes that possible? Why did anyone think Elijah could do that? Because he didn't die. Right. So if you look at the book of Kings, I can never remember, is it the end of 1 Kings or beginning of 2 Kings? It says, Elijah was taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot with fiery horses. And Elisha, his disciple, sees it and says like, whoa, 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 you're gone, right? So in the book of Kings, Eliyahu, who is a prophet, who does miracles, 
does not die. He is taken up to heaven. So in the Jewish midrashic imagination, or whatever you want to call it, mythic imagination, Eliyahu ends up becoming the divine being who sometimes appears to human beings on earth looking like a human. Okay? So we have basically an idea about Malachim in the narrative strand, J or J-E, if you are so inclined, which kind of bifurcates. Malachim become one thing. They become fiery serpents with wings, okay, who surround God. And we imagine ourselves like them in the Kedusha, praising God. That's where that's where the Malachim go, the Malachim part of the equation. And the God can appear to human beings in human form part of the equation because of more radical, more strict monotheism becomes watered down from God can appear to angels can appear to human beings, or sorry, not angels, supernatural beings could appear. Sometimes they're called angels, or it could be Elijah, right? So there are still these malachim become intercessors or people who are in in-between realm between earth and heaven. That stratum mostly isn't in the Sidur. It's mostly in the Midrash, although there is a prayer that we have stopped saying in conservative shuls because we don't really do a full slichot service anymore. But if you look at the slichot service of the week before Rosh Hashanah and uh, the 10 Days of Repentance, um, there's a prayer there in the Tachnun part, which is called Machnisei Rachamim, those who bring in prayers, please bring our prayers before God. It's a prayer to the angels to please, you know, like deliver, it's like delivering all the letters to Santa Claus at the North Pole. Please <laughs> gather all our prayers that we're saying in Slichot and bring them before God. And that prayer is actually controversial. Okay. It is a beloved prayer by some people. And, um, many of the rabbinic authorities say, you do not say that prayer because Jews do not believe in intercessors. We do not believe that there's anyone who brings your prayers before God and does anything. We believe that it goes directly to Hashem, and Hashem decides and does things. We don't have saints. We don't have, although we might believe in angels, we don't believe in angels who intercede on our behalf. So this idea was very controversial, um, and it's kind of a prayer in Slichot that, uh, you know, yet an exa- another example of a prayer that, the authorities wanted to get rid of, and they couldn't get rid of it because people liked it. So it's still in a lot of Sidurim, and there's always a footnote in it. If we look at sort of how people in Judaism, in the Jewish world, understand God today, Diane, you raised your hand before, I promise I'll come back to you, and I will. Um, You know, I don't know if we'd find people, maybe we would, um, who say, who believe in God appearing in a human form, maybe, maybe not. There certainly are people, many people who believe in angels, either up there or in human form. People sometimes say it as a metaphor, but sometimes they mean it literally. That person was an angel, whether that means they saved me or 
they gave me a message or the joke about the guy on the roof who drowns and at the at the pearly gates god's test says to him schmuck i sent you a boat i sent you a helicopter i said all right what do you want from me right i won't tell the joke i assume you know the joke right so um so certainly this idea that there are um I guess, loosely speaking, I will call them supernatural interventions or, or supernatural interactions that come via transmitters, whether they're message transmitters or saving transmitters, who might or might not look humanoid to us, I think is an idea that... um still is around us and is a part of our Jewish world. In general, it doesn't f- find its place in our Sidur. That prayer I mentioned in Slichot Machni Rachamim is kind of an exception, which is why it's notorious and why it gets argued about. Okay? Um, because because Chazal, the sages of the Talmud, their classic ideology is that prayers go directly to God and God responds directly rather than there being intermediaries. Um, the idea of the malachim ends up being in the in the liturgy ends up being largely the idea of Isaiah and Ezekiel as semi domesticated into the kedusha, okay, and into mystical literature of there is a divine realm, supernatural realm. It has ver- creatures of various classes. Loosely speaking, in English, we'll just call them angels, even though there's Ophanim and Seraphim and all kinds of categories. Um, some of them have names. They have certain roles. They have a certain appearance and they have wings. And there is certainly a residue of that idea. Although by and large, the Sidur is not mystical. The Sidur is created by the sages who were pretty much non or anti mystical. Um, the Kedusha is kind of a little snippet. And we talked about this at length of mystical ideas that we have within the Sidur. Okay, I'm going to pause because I talked a lot. Diane, we're going to go five more minutes. Diane. So a couple things. One is, um, I wonder how much trading of, I mean, we know that the early Christians were Jews and how much trading back and forth of this idea of God on earth, God as person, there was. Um, and and whether, I mean, in the end, in terms of numerically, the Christian idea won out, which is kind of an interesting idea, right? Oh, yeah, numerically, it certainly won out, right? And uh, and in distinction to that, in to, terms of the roads that divided, the sages, Chazal, sages of blessed memory, by which we really mean not rabbis in general, but the people who shaped the Mishnah and Talmud, okay, were quite definitive of absolutely not okay so they in reaction in reaction to christianity they lived among christians right we know this in passages in the talmud with rabbis arguing with i'll put it in air quotes heretics and it's clear sometimes in terms of what those heretics say that those heretics were christians um rabbi abahu of caesarea in the third century of the common era was famous for this, for debating heretics, which means Christians, um, were well aware of this idea and that Christians espouse this idea. 
And the sages really doubled and tripled down on absolutely not. It's, it's quite ironic. God, absolutely not. Oh, Elijah appearing and talking to you and giving you messages. Oh, absolutely. Right. So that's right. A, divi- a, a supernatural being who appears totally. They're on board with that. Eliyahu, definitely Eliyahu. All right. Or Michael or Gabriel, definitely not God. Okay. So. So um, this came up in our Rashi class a while ago. Yep. Um, in one of Rashi's comments, I don't remember exactly where it was, but Stevie Green sent an article, which I admit that I haven't read, but I still have, huh? called, Was Rashi a Corporealist by Natan Slifkin. Okay, so, so pause for a moment. So yeah. Diane is using a very look, college word. It's not even a college word. I think it's a grad school word. Corporealist, <laughs> which I believe means Someone who believes that God could have a body, a, a body. Go on, Diane. Thank you. No. So I'm, I'm just wondering if in the shadows, this idea continued, even, even if it was fought against and, and into the medieval times. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll I'm going to let that question hang. Okay. Right? right. Because that's kind of why I want to raise all of this. A part of why I want to raise this is, is, Again, in terms of people's own individual theology, as we live with the Siddur day to day, I want us to think about really two things. What is our understanding of God that we bring to the liturgy, to text, to prayer? And as I disclosed at the beginning of last week's class, because of my historical bias, which I would admit is a bias, and some people don't care about it at all. Where did those ideas come from? I'm interested I'm interested in those questions. What's the lineage of those ideas, right? Where do they where do they originate? So if we just look summarize it, okay, this is an idea that cl- clearly originates in pagan origins that then is filtered into the JE narrative strand or whatever you want to call it, the narrative level of the Bible that then turns into Malachim and Eliyahu in gets bifurcated into Malachim and Eliyahu in later Judaism, totally captivates Christian Judaism and becomes a core idea of Christianity, but mostly goes away in mainstream Judaism. And Diane is raising the question of, does it hover around the edges? Diane, can I make a suggestion? My suggestion to you is, why don't you read that article and then decide if it is worthy to send it to me so that I can post it for the CDOR class? I will okay. do that. You'll, you'll, uh, you know, like the, the, the person who gets up and reads things at 5 a.m. for the president of the United States to provide the briefing book. Okay. So I want you to read that article for me, please. And then, uh, uh tell us if we should read it. Okay. That's your I job. Do that. okay. You don't have to do it by next week at your leisure sometime okay. over the next month, sometime in, Hopefully for sometime in 5783. Okay. <laughs> Any other question, comment, thought? Larry? Um, a very simple question. I'm asking you to give me a simple answer. You give me a different answer later on. If you were giving this talk in Hebrew, when you, whenever you say God in English, what word would you use? I say, uh, it depends. If I'm referring to the name of God, the four-letter name in Hebrew, I would say, Hashem or Yudke Vavke, because we don't pronounce the unpronounceable name. And if I was just saying God, 
Uh, it depends. I would either say Hashem or Ha-Elohim, the deity, the divine one, or Ha-El, because we have different words in Hebrew for God. So I'm wondering if it makes any sense to ask you to distinguish in English, and maybe to, even though I don't like doing it, to go into, uh, to become a Hashemite, a Hashem talker, um, or maybe use the word deity, because sometimes for me, it's confusing when people, even you, talk about God. I don't know if we're talking about the general concept of a deity, or we're actually talking about yud heh vav Okay, thanks. Concept. Thanks. I'll try to distinguish between a deity and Hashem. Okay. All right. Running late. Let's ring off. Food for thought. Okay. Next week, we will look at a different strand of the Chumash with a different idea on the question of how do humans encounter God? That's, God willing, what we'll do next week. Stay healthy. Do mitzvahs. Be Torah. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.